whatever hinders, whatever dulls, whatever exalts itself above God in your life. you would do good to let it go. Jesus spoke many times. Follow me. James and John, Peter walked away from the family business to come into the greater family business. Went from fishing for fish to fishing for men. They walked away from doctor practices. They walked away from tax collecting. So many things they let go of. To follow him. To let him lead them into the higher things of life. If you have your Bibles, I want to uh, read a few verses of scriptures found in John chapter 5, John chapter 5. I just want to share a little bit from my heart today, some things that I feel that God has laid upon my heart. John chapter 5, we're going to read those first nine verses. I'm going to read to you out of the King James Version. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And that day was the Sabbath. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in that condition a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? 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 The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. Can you say amen to the reading of God's word? How many believes that God still communicates with us? If you believe that, I'd I I just like to know. Would you just hold your hand up high and just keep it there? You believe God still communicates with us. Amen. I believe that's pretty much majority. Um. And I, I, I believe that he communicates with us in many different ways. 
Uh, I believe that uh, God is more than able to communicate with us in an audible voice, uh, like he's doing right now. Uh, And I believe that God is also able to communicate uh, in his audible voice without going through an apostle, a prophet, evangelist, a pastor, a teacher, or any other redeemed saint, or a donkey. How many knows he can communicate with you through a donkey? I've had him do that to me through some two-legged donkeys before. I hope I didn't offend anybody there. Please forgive me if I did. Sometimes I make myself laugh. He communicates with us through his word. Uh, He communicates with us through the power of prayer. Uh, He can communicate with us just with thoughts, uh, with impressions upon our hearts. Uh, Many, many different methods uh, that God is able to communicate with us through uh, television, uh, through radio, through uh, books, magazines, pamphlets, uh, the Internet. Um, I think he communicates with us through worship. And uh, I believe that God communicates with us through works. You know, there's, I think, times to where God may just send somebody by and they never say a word. But we have somebody do a good work for us. And we recognize, thank you, God, and we glorify God for it. Because we, we understand that, that God was communicating with us. Uh, whether through an act of love, an act of compassion, an act of servanthood. Um, and I had God communicate with me. Uh, I believe it was early Saturday morning. Um, it may have been Friday morning. It may have been early Friday morning. Uh, I know that Stephen, Paul, my son, uh, talks a lot about uh, looking at his clock. And there's been several occasions uh, that I woke up in the middle of the night, turned over and looked, and the clock read 333. And uh, most of us know how significant, you know, the number three is, uh, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Uh, Jesus Christ arose on the third day. Uh, many different things that we can connect the number three with and uh, how powerful it is. And God just communicating with us through a clock, through numbers. And uh, I'm a little rusty on my uh, numerology. Uh, so when this happened to me, I had to wait till I was able to get down to the church so I could... Uh, get my list out and, and see what God might be saying. Uh, now understand, I, I know that 
we can try to work and manipulate the system. I mean, I understand that I could set my alarm clock for 3.33. I understand that I could sit around, you know, in the house, you know, in the middle of the afternoon at uh, 3.30 in the afternoon, just sitting, waiting, on looking at the clock. Oh, God's talking with me. But uh, I, I just happened this particular morning to just wake up out of a deep sleep. Uh, well, maybe not a deep sleep. I don't know that I go into deep sleeps anymore. I kind of pretty much toss and turn uh, the night away. But uh, anyways, I, I did wake up out of a sleep, and I had to get up and, and uh, go to the restroom. And when I got up, I looked at the clock, and it was 5, 5, 5. And I thought about Stephen's 333, and I thought, God, are you, are you trying to communicate with me? Are you, you trying to tell me something here? Uh, so anyways, I had actually was able to go back to sleep, kind of forgot about it, but something happened in the course of that day that triggered that again, uh, which kind of signifies to me that God was trying to, uh, to get a message uh, over to me. And uh, so I went to uh, my numerology chart that I have there in my desk, and the number five is God's grace. It represents God's grace. The number three is God's fullness. So I believe that what God was telling me and telling his church is he's given us the fullness of his grace, the fullness of his mercy. And uh, sometimes we forget that. Uh, and as I just meditated on that, I, I thought about uh, this story. And uh, God had pretty much already led me uh, to have a uh, communion supper today, uh, the Lord's Supper. And uh, we're going to get into that in a little bit. But I, I just kind of just want to just take a few moments quickly and just uh, kind of share a little bit with you. So many times we just... We, we can really get our thinking messed up. And uh, so many times we can get the way we lived, the way we're living, really messed up. And uh, it just seems like God is really, I've noticed in the worship service and with the leaders up here, uh, whether it's uh, Jessica, Michael, Jennifer, Bree, uh, I, it seems like that God, and even in, in the ministry of uh, Stephen and uh, Danny and Sherry and uh, Karen and Tim and our volunteers in the nursery and uh, w- with myself here in, in the pulpit. Uh, it just really seems like that God is trying to break us free from some things and, and just uh, get us in, into a deeper place with him, uh, in, in, into a place of fullness. Uh, a lot of times we settle, and, and I know that I pointed this out, and I believe that uh, this was something that uh, I was uh, I gathered from the movie Courageous. How many have seen the movie Courageous? Awesome movie. If you haven't seen it, I recommend it. Uh, you watching it. Uh, but uh, I believe that, and, and I may be wrong, and if I am, just forgive me, and we'll strike it up to old age. Uh, but uh, the enemy of great is good. The enemy of greatness is good. And a lot of times we settle for good when we can have great. And I think that's the way it is a lot of times with grace. We settle for a portion of grace 
And we never tap into the fullness of grace. So let me just kind of just just throw out a few little nuggets here uh, that, that you can maybe just let the Spirit just take you this week in some study time and uh, maybe go to our website and get back on the media and, and uh, just get this deeper in your spirit and, and, and just just see what God might want to do uh, through through some of these appetizers. Let me just call them appetizers that he's just going to uh, uh, put on our plate today. Amen. We're, we're going to enjoy a full-course meal here in, in, in just a moment. Uh, but but let's just let's just... Before the meal, let's just have a few appetizers. Amen? Uh, so um, we, we, we see first, the, the first thing uh, is Bethesda. And, and Bethesda simply means house of mercy or house of grace. House of mercy or house of grace. It, it's just unmerited favor. Uh, it's something that we don't deserve. Uh, but because God is love and he loves us so much, he... He gives it to us anyways. Um, and Bethesda had five porches. And in these, the Bible tells us, laid a multitude, a, a large crowd of sick folk. Some of the people were paralyzed. Some of them, you know, just incurable diseases, uh, maybe blind uh, just different things. Uh, the, the Bible listed, I think, three or four there, uh, diagnosed them as, as things that they might have had. Uh, but here's the thing. If we're not careful, we get caught under something man has built and named. But doesn't contain the presence of a merciful God. We have so many people trying to build a form of grace, form of grace, and a form of grace, all kind of different levels of it and porches of it. And a lot of times we get stuck under something that man has taken parts of what God has given us, and they begin to erect something and they give it a name. And a lot of time it may fall under doctrine or commitments or beliefs or theology or interpretation. And if we don't really get in and experience it for ourselves... A lot of times we're going to live under a partial portion of the grace God has for us. Now, because when you get manifested presence, when you really get into that intimate relationship and that bedroom experience that we've been talking about, something happens. And it's apparent that there wasn't much happening here. This man was a part of a large multitude. And the Bible tells us that he had been this way for a long time. Thirty-eight years. He had laid at the pool 
They're in the house of grace or the house of mercy. And I want to direct your attention to the question that Jesus asked him. Do you want to be made whole? Now, I've pointed this out before, but let me do it again for those that may not have heard it or those that may have forgotten. But when Jesus asks a question, when Jesus, God, asks you a question, it's not for his information. It's for your information. It's for your information. Sometimes we forget we're sick. Sometimes we forget we're in a place of lack. He had been there for 38 years with a multitude of sick folk. Is it possible that maybe he had become accustomed and that what he was dwelling in just became normal? Wow. There is so much more that God wants to do in his church. We have yet to tap into the fullness of grace. None of us, not me and not any of you on this pew or these chairs, we have not tapped into the fullness of grace yet. But I think God is really, really trying to get us to. Sometimes we can be in a place so long and do things the same way for so long, it absolutely becomes normal. But if you take the church today and you take the church of Acts, something isn't right. Because the church of today would have to look and say, well, that's not normal. And the church of Acts would look at today and say, that's not normal. But we have adjusted and adapted and become calloused. And it has become normal. And a graceful God looks down upon his church. Wanting to bring us into the fullness of His grace. Now when we look at the pool, and I I chose to read out of the New King James Version because there seems to be, with a lot of Bible scholars, some disagreement in whether verse 4 was really a part of the original transcripts. And uh, most of the translations omit verse 4. But I chose to read out of that because I think that there is some significance to what the Holy Spirit was asking me to share with you today as of what he had shared with me. The pool was a good thing, but yet it seemed almost cruel. Because here you had a multitude of people, just think about it, there's, there's a pretty, I'm sure that there was a lot more than what's gathered here today. 
But just kind of just take a moment and turn your head a little bit and just kind of look at, at, at the people that is around you. I'm going to guess maybe we have 70 here in the sanctuary, but, but I'm not sure. But l- let's just say uh, that there's 70 people in here. Is there anybody in here that doesn't have any kind of need in their life? You don't have a physical, financial, emotional, psychological, spiritual. You don't have a need in your life. Would you raise your hand? Okay. Everyone has some type or somewhat of a need. Can you imagine if I was to say, okay, the first one that touches my hand, your need will be met. And just everybody trying to flock. To, to, to have that need met, to have that need supplied. It would be a good thing for the one that was able to get here first. Matt saying, man, I wish I would have been sitting on the front seat this morning. I knew I should have been up there. There's no way I'm going to outrun Stephen Paul to the front. But it's good in a sense, in a margin. But it seems almost cruel in its nature to think about people that are hurting and in pain with so much of a need. But they was an angel that would come and stir the waters and we are told that the first one into those waters would be healed. It was a good thing, yet it seemed almost cruel because it wasn't perfect. The law was good, yet it seemed almost cruel because it wasn't perfect. But in Matthew 5 and 17, Jesus says, Do you think that I have come to do away or undo the law or the prophets? Out of the Amplified Version I'm reading, I have not come to do away or undo, but to complete and fulfill them. Jesus made it perfect. He brought the fullness of of grace to this earth. Now let me show you something here. This this gets pretty good. I like it. I hope I hope it'll bless you. Mark two nine through twelve. Mark two nine through twelve. Jesus, the, 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 he's he's it's noised abroad that he's in the house. They just flood the house. There's people sitting on the couch, on the floor, in the living room, the bedroom, the bathroom. I mean, all the way to the door. The house is completely filled. And there's no more room for anybody to get there. But four guys come bringing this guy that's lame, that can't walk. And they heard Jesus was in the house, so they're trying to get to Jesus. They're trying to get to the fullness of grace. 
And they can't get in the house. So they go up on top of the roof, tear the roof up. I mean, you know, here's Jesus standing there teaching, you know, this group of people and loving on them. And all of a sudden the roof starts breaking and crackling down. That's what happens when you get Jesus in the house. People will tear the roof off to get in. I guarantee you. And they lower this man, they lower this bed down. And he's there, and and Jesus, he's just amazed, marvels at their faith. And in verse 9, Jesus says, Which is easier to say to this lame man, to this cripple, to this paralyzed man, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Arise, Take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to this lame man, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. Immediately he arose, took up his bed and went out in the presence of them all. So that all were amazed and glorified God saying, We never saw anything like this. John 5 and 14. Back to the story of this man by the pool. He catches up with Jesus because he doesn't know. I mean, they're drilling this guy. They're they're asking, who did this? I don't know. He just told me, hey, this is a Sabbath day, though. You know, you can't be doing stuff like this. I'm just doing what the man told me. Later on, he catches up with Jesus. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple, verse 14, John 5 and 14, and said to him, see, you have been made well, sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. He didn't come to do away with the law. He came to fulfill it. Would Jesus tell us to do anything we couldn't do? Would God expect us to do anything we couldn't do? So he wouldn't tell the man to stop sinning if He couldn't stop saying, would he? And he says, little children, I write these things to you that you sin not, but if you do sin, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. You have a defending attorney standing between you and the accuser of the brethren. Between you and your sin. You can... Go through him. See, he's already died for every sin. But we go through him for that washing and that cleansing. We go through him for that healing. We go through him for that fullness. We are in a process of working on a sin-free life. 
Watch again here in John chapter 8, verse 11. John chapter 8, verse 11. New King James Version. She said, and, and here's what's happened. There's been a woman, and she's been caught in the midst of adultery. And religious leaders, they, you know how those religious people are, don't you? Anybody know about the religious people? They get her, and they bring her and throw her down to Jesus. Right there in front. This woman's been called in the very act of adultery. The very act. Jesus is probably thinking, well, if you call her in the act, where's the man? You know how that buddy system works. Set that poor lady up. And they keep on pressing in on Jesus. <laughs> I'm going to tell you what, when you begin to press in on Jesus, he's going to take you to some deep truths. Keep pressing in on him. Keep pressing in, you just keep going deep. Because what they said is, they said, Moses in his law, he said, such should be stone. But what do you say? Well, he said, well, that, you know, basically, you know, Jesus is thinking, hey, yeah, you know, that's true. But let me give you some deeper truth. Who's ever without sin, let him cast the first stone. Remember the woman at the well of Samarit- uh, at Jacob's well, the Samaritan woman? He says, go get your husband. She said, I don't have a husband. <laughs> He's about to take her to a deeper truth. He said, you told the truth. He said, actually, you've had five husbands. And the one you're living with now is not your husband. So you hang around with Jesus for a while, you keep going deeper and deeper and deeper. See, if the woman would have just got her water and left, she'd have, she could have just stayed just the way she is. See, if y'all weren't here today, y'all could just stay just the way you are, but you keep on coming back for some reason. And you just keep on going deeper and deeper and deeper. And, deeper, and he just gives more deeper truth. Deeper truth. You know, you're, 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 you're never going to hear it all on this side of Jordan. You're never going to know it all on this side of Jordan. He, he, he took her to a deeper truth. He said, who's ever without sin cast the first stone? And I, I, I know I've shared this portion before, but let me share it again because I think it's really good and I think it's significant on the subject that we're on today. For those who have forgotten and for the benefit of those that, that may have not heard it. Whoever is without sin cast the first stone. Okay, immediately we think, okay, let's not be throwing stones at people, right? Yeah, let's, let's not be throwing stones at Zach. Let's not be throwing stones at Scott. Let's not be throwing stones at Pastor. But there's a deeper truth. If you're not without sin, you're not even supposed to throw a stone at yourself. You don't have the right to belittle God's child, his creation.
I'm a bad person. Ah, no, don't be throwing stones at yourself. I can't do anything right. Ah, don't be throwing stones at yourself. I'm a sorry husband. Ah, don't be throwing stones at yourself. I'm a horrible parent. No, 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 no. Don't you be throwing stones at yourself. I really messed up. I really let that person. No, don't you be throwing stones at yourself. You don't have the right to do that according to God's word. Ye that are without sin cast the first stone. Don't be stoning yourself. You don't have that right. You didn't go to Calvary. You didn't pay the price for that sin, so you don't have the authority to stone it. So, here she is living, being beat up with this guilt and this condemnation. And one by one, from the eldest to the youngest, they begin to leave. And she looks up at him. And there it is in John 8 and 11. He asked, does no man condemn you? And this is her reply in verse 8. She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Neither do I condemn you. Uh Uh-oh. Go sin no more. There it is again. What happened? She just walked in the fullness of grace. She just walked into a perfect law. You're forgiven, but don't sin no more. See, sometimes man tries to grease this thing down and water it down and sugarcoat it down. And then some of them try to build it up with legalism. When what we really need to do is preach the word of God. And the truth. And we need to get in and study it and allow the Holy Spirit to give us revelation, perfect it in our lives. Go and sin no more. But I don't condemn you for what you have done. But go and sin no more. There's a fullness of grace in what Jesus just did. What are we seeing here? We're seeing physical healing and we're seeing spiritual healing. In Isaiah 53 and verse 5, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. Jesus on the cross says, it is finished. There's peace. The peace of God that passeth all understanding, that guards, that keeps our heart, our emotions, our mind, our thoughts, in and through and by Christ Jesus. Fullness of grace. He was chastised for that peace that we can have. We don't have to live in worry and anxiety. The Bible says to cast all your cares upon him because he careth for you. We're talking about a fullness of grace here. Jesus was healer. 
He was the great physician. He was the way, the truth, the life. He was the resurrection. He healed physically. He healed emotionally. He healed psychologically. He healed financially. He healed spiritually. There was a fullness of grace that flowed from the Son of God. I mean, we just talked about it last week. 5,000 men plus women and children, their families. No restaurants. He feeds them with five loaves and two fishes. Took care of a physical, a financial need right there. The disciples said, we'd have to work for months. We'd have to work for months. To earn enough money to feed all these people. There's a fullness of grace that God is trying to draw us into for us to live in. Jesus Christ is that fullness. Everything that we need is in Him. We can't afford to get stuck under something that tradition has built, under something that man has built. Even though we've been there a long time, we've got to recognize that something isn't quite right. It may seem normal, but it's a far cry from the normal of the fullness of grace. And I think that there's a drawing that God is placing on His church and on His children and on His people. I believe that we're going to once again go to a place that we've never been. Others have been there. God told us, remember on, on, on the Joshua leading the children, hey, don't you've never been this way before? He didn't say nobody had never been this way. He said you haven't been this way. The church has been where we're needing to go, but the church of the day hasn't been there. So we've got to stay close to what? The presence. It's all about the presence. Why, you know, do, do, do we come in here and why do we just continue to pour ourselves out? Because we're, we're pressing in to the holy place. Where the presence is. We're, we're, we're like Jennifer <coughs> described this morning, creating... A dwelling place, a meeting place, thrones for God's presence to set on. We're creating an atmosphere that He says He will inhabit. I will inhabit the praises of my people. That presence is the fullness of what we need. So we press in that the presence of God may, may fill this house, fill our lives up, where we don't suppress it or grieve Him. And we press in that, that God can fulfill His heart desires in our life and in this place. And that we can absolutely come 
into the fullness of what He has for us. And I, I know that I, I'm a far cry this morning from penetrating to the depths that this needs to be at. So I encourage you, take the revelation that you have received today and take it into your Bible study. Take it into your worship time. Take it into your private time with God. Take it into your prayer time. Take it into your quiet time. Go to the website. Get on the meet. Let God to continue to perfect this. Continue. You know, David talked about that bedroom experience and meditating on the bed. Why he was on the bed. Meditating on God and what God had been speaking in his word. The intimate place. <clears throat> we need to meditate. You know, we, we come in the church and, and we hear God speak to us, but yet we go out, out outside and then we get back involved in the world and uh, our minds are consumed with, with bills and, and, and with work and money and family and, and, and recreation. And, and then, you know, a lot, of, a lot of us don't even give a thought or a meditation to God throughout the week and then we come back here the next Sunday morning. There's a fullness that we can live in. There's a fullness of grace that we can live in in every day, every moment of our life. And that's going to come as we continue to press in and as we continue to go deeper in our relationship with God. It's all about relationship. He created us to have fellowship with us. How did it start? It started in the Garden of Eden where he would come and what would he do? Fellowship. He would walk with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day there in the garden. It was all about fellowship. Enoch walked in continual fellowship with God. My goodness, that man got so deep in God he wasn't. God just took him. (coughs) The world's round, but he walked right off of it. Pressing, God is wanting to take us to deeper truths. The fullness of grace. Some people would have looked at that clock and thought nothing about it. Or some people would have wrote it off as just coincidental. I know in my spirit God spoke to me. And I know I need the fullness of His grace. When the lies of Satan comes concerning my life and my past and my history, it's very important that I know, Corey, there's a fullness of grace I'm living in. There's a peace, there's a comfort, there's a hope, there's an assurance in that. Because of that, I know everything's going to be okay. I know God's going to fulfill Every one of his promises, every word of his words concerning my life. I don't have to look at the circumstances that are surrounding me. I know that God loves me unconditionally. 
and a grace that is perfect, and a grace that is full. I can't afford to get out underneath what other people are building. Sometimes it looks good. Sometimes it feels good. And the majority of the time, it's definitely the norm. I can't be that anymore. God's doing something in my life. I think God is doing something, not only in His church here, but His church abroad. Something is happening. Something is changing. Something is turning. Something is shaking in the spiritual realm. God is us in a process. Let's continue to chase Him. Let's continue to follow after Him. Give Him praise for His Word in this house today.